0: Welcome to Prostate Cancer and You, a podcast produced by the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition. Our mission is to educate, connect, and support men at risk, newly diagnosed individuals, survivors, and their families. It also connects organizations and professionals in Massachusetts seeking to conquer and cure prostate cancer. Hello, this is Jordan Rich, pleased to announce the 2021 Massachusetts Virtual Prostate Cancer Coalition Symposium. It happens on Friday, May 14th, and information and registration can be found at masspcc.org. In our current series of podcasts, I'll be talking with some of the top flight presenters at the symposium. Today, our guest is Dr. David Einstein, based at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. Dr. Einstein treats patients, but he's also an educator and a top flight researcher. His topic at the symposium, Into the Unknown. How do we study new prostate cancer treatments? Dr. Einstein, the title of your presentation, Into the Unknown, has a ring of familiarity to it, and maybe you can explain further.
1: Sure. So hopefully uh, all the grandparents or parents in the audience recognize the uh, the frozen reference there. Uh, it's certainly something that is, is very much a daily part of my life. Hmm. Um, but uh, in any case, you know, certainly uh, we know a lot, and everything that we do know is from, you know, the gratitude of patients and uh and their very important participation in trials that have gone in decades past. So, you know, we're sort of building on the shoulders of folks who have come before us, doctors and patients. And we have a lot left to do because clearly not everyone does well. And clearly some patients still experience, you know, treatment-related toxicities. So we want to do better at controlling cancer with as few side effects as possible, and being as precise as possible. So I think that the next generation of clinical trials is sort of building off of uh, the current standard of care, which is different than it was 10 or 20 years ago. And uh, that's going to open up a whole new set of questions about, you know, what are the mechanisms of resistance to the therapies that we have now? And what are going to be the mechanisms that we need to overcome in the future?
0: You are quite the busy man. You and your colleagues are at it 24 7, it seems. Folks may be interested in your schedule, how you help your patients, of course, but are also in the lab doing research. Can you fill us in briefly on the workflow?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and if you ask during the COVID era, it's a lot different than. What it used to be, but yeah. So I spend about half my time seeing patients, and uh, you know, it's I see myself first and foremost as a clinician. Um, so my patients drive everything else that I do in the research world. Uh, the questions that I have sitting in front of someone in the clinic are the ones that I take back and try to come up with answers to on the research mm-hmm. side. Um, there is kind of this intermediate role between. Um, someone who's 100% clinical and someone who's 100% basic research. And that is uh, a field that we could sort of call translational research, um, which is a little bit of a vague term. But I see it as trying to get clinicians and scientists to talk to each other in a common language and to grab ideas for future treatment possibilities from either side and then refine them using the other's perspective right Mm. so the the lab folks might come up with a, a new idea for me and i say okay this is how we might translate that into a trial or vice versa i might come up with an idea from something that i do clinically and then ask the basic scientists how to help me understand that better.
0: It makes sense. You're you're getting a full picture, sort of a drone view of everything when you're able to do all of that. Let's talk about biomarkers because we're hearing so much more about these in terms of prostate cancer, in terms of all cancers, but uh, research is promising in that area. We're learning more about the disease because of biomarkers, doctor. Let's talk about the theme of your topic at the symposium. How do we study prostate cancer now and how is that evolving with the technology advancement that we know about?
1: Right. So certainly clinical trial design has changed a lot over time. And I think that, you know, a lot of times people hear about a clinical trial and they think that means that it's a study drug versus a sugar pill. Uh, That's kind of a very traditional design, but there are so many other designs out there. And especially as we have more effective treatments, there are fewer and fewer trials that involve a sugar pill. In other words, oftentimes we're comparing some standard of care versus standard of care plus something else, or something of standard of care in a different part of the disease but is being moved into a, an earlier phase of the disease, something like that. Trying to get clinicians and scientists to talk to each other in a common language and to grab ideas for future treatment possibilities from either side, and then refine them using the other's perspective, right? Mm. So the the lab folks might come up with a, a new idea for me and I say, okay, this is how we might translate that into a trial or vice versa. I might come up with an idea from something that I do clinically and then ask the basic scientists how to help me understand that better.
0: It makes sense. You're you're getting a full picture, sort of a drone view of everything when you're able to do all of that. Let's talk about biomarkers, because we're hearing so much more about these in terms of prostate cancer, in terms of all cancers. Research is promising in that area. We're learning more about the disease because of biomarkers, doctor?
1: Yeah, I think we should drill down on what exactly we mean by biomarkers, it's sort of a, a vague term um, that gets thrown around sometimes. So a biomarker really can be anything where you're assaying Say a piece of tissue or something in the blood, um, for one of a couple purposes. One purpose could be trying to detect something early, so you know the the earliest possible diagnosis of cancer. Uh, you might be trying to um, prognosticate about a cancer that you've already diagnosed, but you're trying to understand its biology. So, how aggressive is it truly? Can I do better than looking at it under a microscope? Um, and then another type of biomarker might be that I have treatment X, you know, some new treatment, and I'm trying to understand, does it work in everybody or does it only work in a selected population of patients? And I might come up with a biomarker that I would check in order to decide whether a certain treatment was right for a certain patient.
0: We've heard a lot about targeted therapy and the uh, genome studies that have led to that. What's happening in the area of prostate cancer regarding targeted therapies? What can you tell us?
1: Yeah, so targeted therapy, too, is you know one of these terms that sometimes can be a little bit vague. I think it's most traditionally used in the sense of having a gene alteration, so a mutation in a gene or too much or too little of a gene, um, that then predicts for response to a certain therapy. So this is the kind of paradigm that we think of in, uh, well, the original one was in the in, in form of leukemia where there was one gene alteration that could be really well targeted with a pill. And that paradigm has been translated into lung cancer. And in the prostate cancer world, that's the kind of paradigm that we think of with uh, what we call homologous recombination repair deficiency or DNA damage repair deficiency. Mm -hmm. So these are basically cancers that have lost their ability to repair damage to their DNA. And that opens up a vulnerability that we can potentially target with something like a PARP inhibitor. So the idea is that, you know, there's a subset of patients who might have these gene alterations and that there might be a therapy that's particularly good for them. Now, that sounds good in practice, but of course, it becomes much more complicated when you think about different genes or, you know, One gene might not always, you know, in 100% of patients predict for a good response. I should say, by the way, that targeted therapy really probably goes way back farther than all of this. Uh, In the prostate cancer world, it's all about androgen receptor, right? Androgen receptor drives everything. And so, you know, the idea of, of, of medical or surgical castration is in some sense a targeted therapy that, you know goes after that vulnerability in prostate cancer. But of course, that's been around for decades and nobody was calling that targeted therapy.
0: Part of your research, I I believe, has to do with why certain cancers are more drug-resistant than others. For listeners who are dealing with severe disease, I mean, this is a key, key issue. Is, Is research leading to more answers as to why some drugs just don't seem to work or give up working?
1: Right. So, I mean, drugs can work Um, for a little while and then stop working or they can work not at all. Um, So sometimes people have what we call sort of primary resistance, something that is there even before you start the drug. And other people have acquired resistance where as you're on the drug, it works for some period of time and then stops working. And unfortunately, we don't have a cure for metastatic prostate cancer. We certainly wish that we did, but everything that we have right now, at some point, the disease will become resistant to. So it's incredibly important to understand why that is. And probably there's not one answer for all cancers. And even within one patient, different parts of that cancer might learn its way around uh, the the treatments in different ways. Um, So that's what we're really all about. And um, we have looked in patients on clinical trials and and tried to understand, okay, we we gave them these medications. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, but let's look at even our failures and try to understand Mm. from those tumors that don't respond, Uh, and figure out new targets based off of that.
0: Is it safe to say that there isn't a gold standard in terms of general treatment? I mean, we know about surgery, we know about uh, some of the ultrasound work, uh, certain the medications, but do we have any suggestion that one over the other as a rule is predominantly more effective? So
1: in the localized setting, when prostate cancer is still within the prostate, um, we think that surgery and radiation are essentially equivalent for the purposes of cancer control. They certainly have different side effect profiles. So we spend most of our time when we're making that decision talking about what are the pros and cons of each each pathway. Um, at this point, we don't have a biomarker that says one patient should have surgery and another patient should have radiation. It's really more of a clinical decision.
0: Going forward, future is here. What is the most promising research telling you about treatment uh, in general terms so that we can give the audience something to shoot for? <laughs>
1: yeah that's a you know obviously a big question i think that what i would say is a lot of the past few years of prostate cancer research the the biggest stories have actually been taking old drugs and using them in a different way um, in particular moving up in the sequence of events uh, treatments that we used to hold out on until later on so it turns out that sometimes by using treatments that are effective earlier you can you know prevent or delay the emergence of resistance And so things like apparaterone or enzalutamide or docetaxel are things that we used to hold on to until someone became resistant to first-line therapy. Um, A whole series of trials has shown us that we should actually be using those up front um, in an effort to be more aggressive and and, and try to prevent the cancer from getting smart for as long as possible. There's obviously a lot of different targeted therapies out there and immune therapies and uh, different ways of going after androgen receptor. So there's any number of ways that, you know, new treatments are going to emerge, but as a a sort of broad theme in prostate cancer, that's been probably the biggest one over the last few
0: years. And even techniques for surgical removal have improved. I mean, that's what people should know about too. I mean, every year, every five years, there are advances in that area as well.
1: Sure. And, you know, I'll admit that my bias is a medical oncologist. So, you know, I don't spend as much time talking about the surgical techniques, but certainly there's an effort to not just uh, control cancer better, but also to do it with fewer side effects. So some of that is surgical, some of that is about better management in terms of supportive care. Um, you know, we always think about what's the right treatment for the cancer. We also have to think about how do you get a patient through all of this, um, and so coming up with better ways of doing that is is, is going to be a way for folks to to live better with their treatments um, than before. Um, I would say in the medical oncology world. Um, you know, we're also interested always in kind of de-escalation when possible. So, and, and this is actually true for surgeons and radiation oncologists too, but, you know, the last 10 years or so has seen a real shift in, you know, treating everybody the same to really risk stratifying and figuring out who needs treatment, who doesn't need treatment. And for the folks who don't need treatment upfront, what's the best way of following those
0: and every once in a while, news reports tell us that a drug that was designed to fight a certain disease or a certain form of cancer turns out to be very effective in other forms. So I'm just imagining that people in your area of study are never turning your back on anything. Everything is on the table with research that that has to be quantified. But fascinating to me that that happens.
1: Yeah, um, I think that sometimes people think of cancer as one thing, and it's clearly not. Um, and so the idea of sort of a magic bullet against all of cancer is, is not one that you know, we're thinking about, but that's not to say that you can't learn from other diseases. And in fact, one of the stories that I plan to tell as part of my talk is one of trying to repurpose a breast cancer drug for prostate cancer. And this is a circumstance where we studied tumors that had been treated with kind of standard of care approaches and looked for those tumors that didn't respond. And it turns out that a, a, a subset of them seemed to use a pathway called HER2, which some folks might've heard about in the breast cancer world as important. And so we're gonna to try to go after that pathway in a selected group of patients. So that's an example where I, as an investigator, um, do what's called an investigator-initiated trial. And I go to a drug company that makes this drug for a different purpose. And I tell them, I've got this idea to try it in a different way, you know, different patient population, biomarker, all that kind of stuff. And then we work together to come up with that trial. Um, And so I think that story is kind of instructive, one, learning from other cancers, and two, for patients to get a better sense of, you know, what are the different avenues by which we take something from the lab and get it? In front of them.
0: Well, we want to thank you in advance for your work on the symposium panel, but also in general, you representing the researchers, the clinical and laboratory researchers in oncology.
1: It's a busy world. Uh, it's amazing the amount of stuff to keep up with, but I think that uh, it's all worthwhile when uh, you and a patient sit together and, and, and think about new strategies and kind of venture out into this, this great unknown together. Um, knowing that you're kind of holding each other's hands.
0: Very gratifying. Thank you for your time today, doctor.
1: Sure, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks once again to our guest, Dr. David Einstein from the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, one of many important healthcare leaders in prostate cancer detection, research, and treatment. Again, for more about the virtual symposium on May 14th, visit masspcc.org. To learn more about the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition and to hear the Prostate Cancer in You podcast, go to masspcc.org. That's masspcc.org. You can also download and listen on Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and with all Android players. This podcast was brought to you in part through a grant from Pfizer. I'm Jordan Rich, wishing you a fabulous day.